Hi there and welcome back to the ESPN Footy Podcast. Hello everybody, welcome to the ESPN Footy Pod for another week. Proudly sponsored by Subway. Get your mid-match feast delivered fresh, Subway eat fresh. I'm Matt Walsh, Jake Michaels and Christian Jolly from Champion Data in the studio once again. There's a lot to get to this week with just one round left in the home and away season. Jake, another pretty incredible weekend of footy, but it's been back-ended by controversy. We had the Patrick Cripps stuff before the round of footy. We had the mm. Essendon saga drop yesterday, that's Monday. Uh, we did a very special uh, bonus episode with Rowan Connolly about that, so check that out if you're keen to hear his thoughts about that. But there was also plenty to, to discuss from on the field. There was, and I'm glad we did the the uh, special episode with Rowan yesterday because this this episode would be on an hour and a half if we didn't. Um, and if we had him on, yeah, gee, lo- he, he's got a very love, passionate man love hate relationship with the Bombers, Rowan. Um, and it's well yeah. worth listening to. To be fair, he he made a lot of really good points. He's a very passionate guy. Hasn't ruled out being part of a rival ticket if one was to ever pop up as well. So oh, I tell you what, he'd be putting mm. his hand up to if if. If Rutten does eventually go at some point, he'll be the first person to put his hand up and say, let me coach this side. <laughs> yeah, no, he is. You're right. He's very passionate. And um, obviously, it was a massive talking point um, after the horrible performance against Port and then obviously into yesterday as well. So, um, yeah, we probably won't be talking too much about that because we did it yesterday. But, um, yeah, can't, I honestly cannot wait for Friday. Four massive games I'm looking forward to this week. And... As the listeners know, three Carlton fans here, so Sunday is going to be must-watch. Well, Saturday night was uh, it was an interesting game. It was actually really good. I thought the intensity of the contest really set the tone for what is going to be a massive final series. Uh, I think Carlton and Melbourne were both um, look trying their guts out, contested footy, tackles, smothers, the whole lot. And it had this real sort of September air about it. It did, and it also proved, particularly in the first half, where it was very low scoring and contested, that... High-scoring games don't necessarily mean great games. Mm. Now, I will say that the Bulldogs-Giants game was really, really tough to watch. That was just... I think the Giants took 165 marks. It was keepings off. It was really grim watching. But I thought Melbourne and Carlton was just an epic contest, particularly in the first half. And then it did open up in the second, and we saw more scoring. So... I think as a Carlton supporter, I didn't, I wasn't, obviously I was disappointed that we lost the game. We probably shouldn't have lost the game. But I think I was pleased with the way we played. And I think if we can bring that intensity and effort again against the Pies on Sunday, we'll give ourselves a big chance of winning. Been a bit of talk, Christian, about uh, potentially, well, I don't think it's going to happen, but you know, fans would like to see three games being played simultaneously on the Sunday because they all have um, different effects on the makeup of the eight. As a statistician, I can sort of tell that you would not want that to happen because it means spreading a lot of uh, resources over many games starting at the same time. But as a fan, would you want to see you know, many games start at the same time so you can have this Premier League final day kind of finish with a flurry? Um I was sort of torn between, and again, I grew up with Saturday afternoon footy. It was five games on Saturday, and yeah, as I said, you sit at Waverley and Nine look up at the scoreboard, and yeah, <laughs> we have enough grounds. <laughs> you wouldn't get Carlton versus Collingwood on the scoreboard. You get A versus B and D versus E, so you'd have to buy a footy record to work out what the scores were. So, and I do, I do like the Premier League. I've watched a few final days of Premier League, sort of, you know, and I don't follow the Premier League all the time, but because it's it gets to that final day and it's sort of easy to wrap up. But again, just. AFL, the length of the game. I don't know. I, I couldn't see it working in AFL. I, I like the way this this Sunday sort of works. Everyone always brings up the Aguero moment, and that's fair enough because that was one of the most epic moments in sports history. Yeah. But for for every Aguero final match day, final kick of the season, it's not always like that. So it's not like changing them all to be on at the same time is going to guarantee anything. 100%. But last year, uh, if if all games were played as a final day thing in the, the last round of last season, there would have been 20 changes throughout the day on the ladder. Right? The ladder in, in the, the AFL. top eight? No, in, in, in the top eight, sorry. This this year, there's there would there will at different times be different machinations and there will, ups yeah. and downs. And, and you can sort of see the the merit in it. But, you know, you're... you're Staunchly, a you want to watch every game back to back to back, and not oh, have to I, go back hate, and watch I, recordings. Absolutely, I don't like. But the not fact everyone's that like they're... you. Not you know, there might be you know fans of St Kilda who might watch St Kilda games, and then maybe the Friday night game. I've told you the thing that annoys me more than anything is the little fox score in the bottom right hand <laughs> corner that you can't turn off. And I've I've said it before. I've, I put a book in front of the, in the corner of my TV to cover the score so I can watch the second game and not um 
not have any spoilers. Yeah, you're a unique unit. Uh, we <laughs> talked about the Bombers special that we recorded yesterday. The AFLW is also just around the corner, uh, and the girls are back on the pod. Marissa Lodanik and Sarah Burt uh, have just dropped the first episode of that as mm. well. So welcome back to them, and welcome to Sarah Burt as well. Yep, absolutely. And it's uh, it's sneaking up with the earliest start this year. I know. Yeah, August start, uh, November finish. So keep your eye, uh, pe- keep your eyes peeled on the podcast wherever you get your podcasts for those as well. Uh, they've just released a massive team by team preview and their uh, season predictions. So get stuck into that. Before we get cracking, we've got a lot to talk to. We're going to talk confidence players. We're going to talk Nick Dacos and the well, he's probably going to be the rising star. We're going to talk the Tigers. But before we do that, something from round 22 that took your fancy, Jake. Um, I think five or six weeks ago now, it was like, it was this Richmond Gold Coast game. No, Richmond North game where uh, Noah Cumberland took that mark right at the end. No, sorry, it was Frio. What am I talking about? It was against Frio. They've had a few close finishes. They have. They're three in a row. So it was That was the third one. He took that mark 50 out. And I think my thing I noticed was the Jack Rewalt reaction when he played on. And he had his hand... Like that, the emotion. He's one of the most emotional players, like visibly. Yeah. And I thought that was great. There was something similar on, um, on the weekend or Friday night when... Max King just missed miss shot after shot after shot, which I think we will talk about soon. Um, and I think after like the fourth or fifth one, they just cut to a guy in the crowd and the despair and anguish <laughs> or look on his face as he sort of just falls over almost. I thought that is that's just going to become a meme for everything St Kilda. It kind of sums up the season as well. I, I I couldn't. I just was laughing my head off when I saw that. Having been a Carlton supporter who didn't really get to see a lot of the success uh, of the club in maybe the 70s and the 80s, uh, it hasn't been a great time for me, but I can just sort of almost gratefully say that I'm, I'm glad I've not been a Saints fan because they've copped it for, oh, for much yeah. longer and they've had some, you know, strange they ups and They seem to always be, you might correct me here, Christian, but they always seem to be, at least in the modern sort of era, one of the more inaccurate teams. And inaccuracy must frustrate fans more oh, than anything. And again, it goes back to uh, Ross Lyon days, I reckon, towards, well, was it Ross Lyon brought in Ben Dixon as a goal-kicking coach and... I reckon he lasted three weeks and they went backwards and they got rid of him and then brought in another goal-kicking coach next year. And then now Brett Ratton's always very quick to say that they don't want anyone coming in from outside to work with Max King. We, so we it's, it's, been a, it's been a long-term get the, issue for Get the G train down there. They play at Marvel too, which kind of adds to the... Oh, yeah. Well, anyway. Christian? Uh, yeah, Frio West Coast. So the uh, the main game on Saturday night. Let's forget about the other one that was played for a minute. Um, <laughs> yeah, the derby across in Perth. And 150-metre penalty paid against Caleb Sarong. I, which I've seen before. I'm sure Fev, I reckon, is probably the last player yeah, I can I remember say, giving away. I reckon he did that twice. A, a tri- I think there was one earlier this season. 150? Oh, 150, no, 100 metres. Yeah, yeah, 150 metres, but he was only 90 metres away from the goal. So how does the umpire... Again, this just... It really frustrated me as a statistician having to put that in. I'm sorry, the umpire paid 350s from the spot, so he didn't pay a 50, get further down, pay another one and start running. He just said, at the spot, he said, that's a 150 metre penalty, summed up... Three, you know... Makes no sense. And then just took him to the goal yeah. line. And we were, you know, struggling. What What do we pay? Do we pay a... a do we pay three 50-metre penalties? We had to because that's mm. what the umpire had verbally said he was paying. He paid it. I just thought... Just go through again, just overkill. It's, yeah, it's just... It, from 90 metres out, surely it's two 50-metre penalties and I'm going to give him another kick after the goal. Like... Because that allows Sarong just to keep doing things. Like, that's a 200-meter penalty. Yeah. That's a 250-meter penalty. It's like but when, it's as soon as the siren goes, you see all these fracas develop because they know that yeah, they, you can't no pay free a free kick once the, the siren's gone Which and everyone's makes no sense. Uh, yeah, Why can't they? Oh, they? Why look, can't they pay a free kick afterwards if someone decks Or start somebody. the next quarter or something? Uh, with the 50-meter penalty stuff, sometimes we saw... So, again, not to talk about um, the current game, but Melksham took that mark five, seven meters out, just outside the square... And was it McGovern that ran in? Someone ran in, and and then he took the fifty, walked straight, and kicked the goal. Like yeah. I, I don't know what the expected scores are, but it's probably five point six to five point nine. Yeah. So just clever. He knew the he knew the player was going to come. But sometimes when a player, and I see it with James Sicily and some defenders, sometimes the hot headed defenders, they will their opponent will take a mark like in the goal square, and they'll know well a, a fifty from two meters out to on the goal line is nowhere near as bad as 52 metres out to 2 metres out. So it's worth giving the umpire a spray <laughs> at that moment because what have you got to lose? Just get it off your chest at that moment. So, yeah, it's I don't know that. I did notice that. But I also noticed the um, he was missing one of his... Uh, yeah, he had a bit of a Tarzan. His, yeah, he, he, half his night. shirt was ripped off. Mm. 
There were a few players this week that were missing. Um, missing a bit, bit of, of the feeling jersey. in a few of these games. The, the derby was one in particular where they it just always seems to boil over yeah. at some point. I think Jeremy Finlayson. I, I think people in his... Perth and the players at these Perth-based clubs have just been a little bit upset. The fact that the showdown might have been getting a little bit more attention in recent years. Well, it's been a better watch. Oh, there you go. Hey, something I noticed: um, the Giants and the Dogs game wasn't really one which was all that entertaining. It was it crap. Was, yeah, well, yeah. It, it wasn't great. Put, but the, put the explicit on. It was It was, it was really bad. <laughs> put the, the big E. Uh, yeah, it ended up only being... Well, it was pretty close in the end. It was only a one-kick game as it finished. The Giants had their, their moments to try and win the game. Kicked three goals in a row at one point. The Dogs also they looked, kicked four. They looked the winner for a fair while there. But the style of gameplay... Mick Malthouse would have summed it up best by calling it basketball crap. But the Giants played just this bizarre keepings off type of style in which they finished with 165 marks on the on the ground mm. to the dogs 91 but only f- eight inside 50 and it just like it was just so illustrative of a team that was doing its best to bring the game down to its level and maybe scrape a narrow victory in a low scoring game uh, and the dogs it almost bloody worked for the Giants because the dogs almost lost and it would have ended their their season yeah and I, and the dogs did somehow get get the win but that's got to be really concerning that a, that a team like the Giants who have really struggled all year had the game played the game on their terms mm. yeah and again their terms have really changed since Leon Cameron uh, left early in the season and you know someone said it to me in the office before if you look at GWS their caretaker coach has coached more games than their initial coach was, <laughs> Weird, me- was meant it? to so it's just sort of too long to be a caretaker coach and you look at their game style since Leon Cameron left, it is. It's just sort of biding time. They are very high for marks, very high for kick shorts and backwards, not high for sort of trying to go forward and take territory or anything like that. And that, that game against the Bulldogs was sort of the height and, you know, the, the top of it where we saw it really come to the fore. But they've been playing a number one marking style for the last, uh, you know, as I said, probably 10 weeks since Leon Cameron left. But it is. it, it just seems like they're just trying to just get through games. They, you know, I sort of spoke about with you guys earlier, we know there's a lot of guys coming out of contract or that could be getting traded to sort of help with the salary cap. They're going to have a new coach. So it's almost, what what do these last 10 weeks mean? They're sort of just trying to get through by time. And yeah. it's, it's all about the off-season. We've got to regroup and go again. And, you know, I, I don't know what they're planning for for next year because they don't know what game style or what sort of, you know, what even playing list they're going to have exactly next year. So it was a really weird end to the season for the Giants for me. One game to go in Canberra. They've not been good in Canberra recently. I believe that the stats like one from their last eight or one from their last nine that they've won. So mm, you know, not good. No, not not. It's just not been the season that they would have set. Not out good, to... but also Frio don't. It's not as if Frio play in Canberra that often. I don't know if they ever have. Um, off the top of my head, I certainly can't think of a time they have. Mm. Um, danger game for the Dockers. If if the Giants can sort of have play that sort of style. That's what I'm saying. These... Final day EPL style. You know, machinations happen like. But if... but. With the final day, we're still going to have Saturday, Sunday. So what, you're going to have some on... Nah, do them all on Saturday, 2.10. <laughs> <laughs> the broadcasters would love that. Yeah. All right, let's uh, get into things. Um, uh, interestingly, it was a Reddit thread that kind of tipped me off on this uh, from the user NitroXYZ. And basically, it was talking about Max King. We, we touched upon King and his lack of uh, accuracy uh, in the game against the Lions <laughs> on Friday night. That's, that's one way to put it, I guess. Um, but the thread was basically, is Max King the most confidence-reliant player in the game right now? And that sort of tipped me off because is there such thing as a confidence player? Because it's definitely one of those like footyism or footy myths that you hear, yeah, especially if you're talking about a forward. I reckon back in the day... Like my old man would always be like, oh, you know, Travis Cloak, if he kicks an early one, he'll be on. You know, mm-hmm. he's, he's got to have that sort of confidence kick to, to get to get yeah, ahead of the game. Every, every team had that player that we felt like was the one you needed to get, get yeah. an early goal. Yeah. So this Reddit user uh, worked out that he kicks 60% of his shots on goal for the rest of the game if his first shot is on target. So he's a 6 out of 10 kick uh, if he kicks his first, if the first kick that he has at goal is a goal. Mm. Um, but just 35.7% if his first shot misses, which is pretty illustrative of a quote-unquote confidence player. But Is that for the year or career? This is, I think, for this season, but I, would, I could have to double-check that. Mm. So Christian, we sort of asked you if we could kind of boil down what a confidence player might be. And I think you've taken it to another level, um, putting it up against expected scores, which we've talked a fair bit about on this podcast before. Uh, how does it... How does he compare when you look at that stat compared to something compared to his expected scores? And then are there any other players in the league where you can look at and say, yeah, they are a quote-unquote confidence player in front of goal? Yeah, so I think the guy on Reddit had nailed it. Sort of, um, yeah, it's probably a good way to look at it in terms of, yeah, if you kick your first one, how accurate are you? And if you miss your first one, how accurate are you? But again, sort of taking what we spoke about expected scores, 
you know, you have all your shots from the goal, so you're going to you're more likely to have 100% accuracy than if you're taking more outside 50. So it's really looking at this year only, looking at every player in the competition, whether they had a shot at goal and whether they missed first or kicked a goal first, and then just looking at every shot after that taken throughout the match and just working out the expected accuracy and how they've done um, from that point on. So he's right with the, the Max King stats. So he, looking at expected accuracy, if he misses his first shot, he kicks the rest of the game at negative 22% for expected accuracy. So again, if he's... Um, you know, so he's, so he's, he might be 20 out straight in front like we saw a couple of times on Friday night and just misses. Yeah, correct. So, he's yeah, he's, he's again, a 50% shot. He's only going to hit 30% of the time and so forth because yeah. he's always, yeah, 20% below the comp average for all of his shots. That's after missing one. And that's basically of the guys that have at least, you know, missed a shot and then followed up with another 10 shots, it's the worst expected accuracy of anyone. So once he misses his first shot, you know, he, he drops to like the lowest expected accuracy of any player. If he nails his first shot, though, again, his, the rest of his shots are negative 7% below expected accuracy. So that's a big part of this, this thing on Max King is overall he's inaccurate. Yep. So you've got to start there. He's an inaccurate player. He's not quite at the comp average. But yes, if you, talk, if you look at his numbers and in terms of confidence, he's a lot more inaccurate if he misses his first shot. It's weird, isn't it? And and this is someone who... It's a good pickup. Well, is a, is a career forward. So this is someone who, for the next 10 years at least, is going to be working on that craft week in, week out. And you think that, yeah, there's probably a mental side to this as well. It's not just a physical thing. Even though his, his kicking action can be... I think that that highlights how much of it is mental. Yeah. Because the, the more you miss the harder it seems to be to kick accurately. And he has the next 10 years, obviously, but like he needs to quickly, I think, develop a, a routine or something which can clear his head or there there needs to be processes in place or, you know, bring someone in, uh, like we were discussing before, to kind of help with this because it's, it's pretty damning that he's below the comp average as it is, but if he misses his first shot, you can almost sort of say that, that St Kilda aren't going to be as competitive as what they could be. And you know, I think we could see it live. Um, yeah. On the weekend, I mean, every time he took the mark, he sort of, you could just see on his face, he wasn't confident. And he then he took yeah. the next he, mark he 10 minutes later confident. and he le- less confident than he did. He was rushed rushing. Yeah. And he is, not that I'm Jason Dunstall giving advice, but it's the it's obvious watching that he's not, he doesn't look confident with, with his his walk in and his run up and the ball drop, everything. He's not He's not running directly at goal. He's just, he looks like a player that's lacking confidence at the moment. And he is young, like... I don't expect this to be an issue throughout his career. There's been lots of promising key forwards that have come in and had um, accuracy issues that have been able to, to improve over the course of their career. There so, are also a lot who haven't been able to improve. You know, if, you, if your accuracy when you're 20 is whatever it might be, you know, there are some players who are pretty, pretty like plateaued and stagnant over the course of time. You're writing him off. No, I'm not writing him off. I just think that it was just interesting that you can you can quantify this mm. and then when you it does you know there are obviously stats that you can read on a page or on a computer but when you watch the eye test as well and combine those two you can kind of see that there are some issues there with his with his with his confidence quote unquote um any other players that that sort of you know when you ran the query christian came up as either yes confidence players or as in they're, they're not as good or they are better or, or what it might be yeah so as i said uh, max king went from negative two percent up to negative seven percent so below either way negative 20 uh, yeah, so that's where he started. So, yeah, sorry. yeah the, the player that's confidence goes up um, sort of thing, you know, if he, if he nails his first shot. Liam Ryan's probably the biggest one in the comp. So when he's missed his first shot this year, he's at negative 7% expected accuracy. So not terrible, um, but again, just, just not hitting him as much as he should if he misses his first shot. If he nails his first shot, he's plus 30%, which is just an elite number to be plus 30%. The ultimate and confidence. Riding high. And it's a good sample size. I think it's about 16 or 17 shots that, that you know, he's had after kicking a goal. So um, that's a 37% yeah. swing. So if he if he kicks, if he misses his first one compared to kicks it, there's a 37% difference in right, his it's, accuracy. It's a, it's a mental thing as well. Because mm. we're looking at expected scores. So it's not like he's getting all of his subsequent shots 10 metres out yeah. right in front. It's wherever he's kicking them from, he is plus 30% or whatever it might be. Um Compared, you know, compared to the comp average from that spot. That's it. If you're taking a, sh- if your first shot for the game is 47 meters out on the boundary and you hit the post, that's not going to shatter your confidence as much as strolling in five meters out and missing. So yeah, I think it's clearly, and it's not a groundbreaking take, but it's cl- a, a large portion of goal kicking is mental because you watch players, you watch, you go and watch 
you get to a game early and watch players taking shots for goal in the warm-up, they'll kick 9 out of 10. Oh, they're, they're never spraying them out in the pool <laughs> yeah. in the warm-up, are they? Right. Some of the shanks you see live play, yeah. you don't see it's, those through the warm-ups. It's, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, another player that su- sort of surprised me, when you when you brought up the Max King, I thought, oh, yeah, I reckon Jack Higgins is going to probably come up high on this one as well, but not mm. quite Jack Higgins, but Jade Gresham's probably the second in, in terms of behind Liam Ryan is the next sort of most affected by confidence. Negative 17% accuracy when he misses his first shot, plus 17% when he nails his first shot. So a 34% swing. swing for Jade Gresham. Tom Papley would have been a name I, I would have Yeah, expected. well, not in the top six. So, again, King came sixth with his swing. Hugo Hagen... Um, Smaller sample size. Is, yeah, is a 29% swing, so he goes from negative 20% to plus 9%. Are all these players just for this year? Yeah, yep. so and Noah Cumberland sort of up there as well, who we've already spoke about uh, on the podcast. So, again, this was looking at, yeah, at least... Kicking a behind or a goal with your first shot and having another ten shots, so a good sample size. It's not it's not including players that have just kicked one goal and then followed up with another goal. Mm. But yeah, just sort of uh, one of the quirky ones that came up that we found that um, again just had to thought we were missing a couple of games or something had broken with the Sydney query that we ran. But Sam Reed, um, so this season if he's kicked a goal with his first shot, sort of not even looking at accuracy anymore. If he's kicked a goal with his first shot, he's had another twenty shots after it. So he, he follows up and might have another one or two shots per game. If he's kicked it behind with his first shot, he's followed it up with one more shot across the season. So it could have been just one of the games where he's started with a behind. He's only followed that up with one more shot. So he, so he just hasn't his found first the ball. And he goes missing. Is and what he, you're and he, yeah, and he hasn't touched it since. But That's if he bizarre. kicks his first, we've seen him get another twenty shots on goal. So if you talk about confidence player in terms well, of it's Matt not King necessarily scoring accuracy, yeah, it's this is actually just getting yeah. his hands to it. It's almost like if he gets his hands to it early. And kicks it behind, he's almost not it, presenting or going as you know. It, it's a very simplistic way of looking at it, but he almost goes missing. If it's he funny you say Sam Reid because I reckon two or three weeks ago there was a game that I was a Sydney game I was watching. I reckon it was the second quarter. Hadn't seen him at all. Took a mark thirty out, kicked a goal, went back to the center. Sydney got it out again, straight back to him. Kicked, kicked two in two in ninety seconds. So yeah. yeah, I I certainly not a player I would have expect like just picked, but it's it's one of those weird. Quirky things, I guess. You've got a few stats there. I'm probably throwing you under the bus because I've, I've just thought of this. Are there any players that reverse the trend and if they miss their first one, they then come out and have learned from their mistakes, say, and kick incredibly accurately after that? Yeah, I'm probably throwing happened under the before. Bus. <laughs> no, I did. I, I know off the top of my head it's Brad Close. Uh, yeah, it was Brad Close. I just hadn't looked at the actual number. So, Brad, Brad Close. Yeah, big fan of him. I mean, he goes from... Eight, uh, sorry, so after... Put some waiting music on while we wait for this one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it goes from he's 18, he's 18, plus 18% if he misses his first shot, plus 56% if he hits his first shot. As I said, plus 30% is an elite number, plus 50%, 56% is off, off the charts. But he's he's kicking above accuracy either way. Um, but again, it, it probably... I mean, his number still goes up if he kicks a goal, so that's probably a funny one. He's probably in the highest in terms of... If he kicks it behind, he's probably still got the best accuracy after it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, in terms of the swing players, it's, yeah, it's well, yeah, Bailey Banfield's another one that's down there. Um, bit of a, bit of X factor about him. <laughs> yeah. So just a, another one that's sort of, I mean, he goes from negative nineteen percent to plus fifty one percent. Nine shots from the behind. So yeah, a bit bit of a smaller sample size with ba- Bailey Banfield, but he's probably sorry the other way around. He goes from if he misses his first shot, he's plus forty percent. If yeah. he if he um, hits his first shot, he's actually negative nine percent afterwards. So it's almost like he's happy with his first goal and <laughs> sort of yeah, he's, he just uh, accepts it after that. There you go. Uh, thanks to that Reddit user Nitro XYZ, um, opened a little can of worms. It was fun mm. to sort of unravel there. Uh, rising star Nick Dacos. Are we in agreement, Jake, that he's going to be taking it out? Oh. Yeah, I think it's clear that all the bookies paid this out five, six weeks ago. Um, he's been the best player. Look, there's been a couple of other players that have really been impressive. Uh, Sam DeConing's been really good for the Cats. Uh, John Newcomb for the Hawks has become a really good player. But I think it's it's not really close that it's uh, it's it's going to be Nick Dacos by the Flemington Strait. <laughs> Well, you were sort of thinking, is, like, is it the best first year performance since? But we didn't have to go back far. We didn't have to go back far. And I'm sure there are, a, there are a few others around. And there are other players that have played their first year, older players. I know Michael Barlow always features quite high in these kind of first year, As a mature, mature age. Ager. Um, but in terms of just first year straight out of the draft, the player that I went back to only three, three four years ago was uh, Sam Walsh. 
And I thought, has Nick Dacos, for all the talk of Nick Dacos, and I, I just want to preface this by saying, I think he deserves the rising star. I think he's going to be a, a fantastic football player. He's going to be an elite player for 15 years. I have no doubt about that. But I think people have already forgotten how good Sam Walsh was in his first year. And I'm not talking about how good Sam Walsh is today or last year where he polled 30 Brownlow votes. I'm talking about first year, straight into the middle. I know he played on the wing a bit too. Christian has some numbers on that. But just more so around the football more, playing that more contested style, I think. And it's not a, it's not a criticism of Dacos because he's not playing that. You can't criticize someone for playing a different position. But... How do you compare the, them? The Carlton I mean, team that, that Walsh came into, having to be the... He, he essentially came in, and, and halfway through the season, he was the second best player on the team. Dacos hasn't had the pressure to do that. So, I don't know. I, I don't know what the numbers suggest, but I think people have quickly forgotten how good Sam Walsh was year one. And it's, it is. a it, This goes back even further. Um, and I remember, I think, you know, 2014 or 15, Patrick Cripps versus Jesse Hogan was being debated for the NAB Rising Star. And I was sort of in the All-Australian selection meetings with the with the voters at that, at that time. And they just had different examples of what is it harder to be in your first year? Is it harder to be an inside midfielder in your first year or a key forward? And I don't think there is a, I don't think you can be right or wrong on either way, but there was a lot of back and forth between the selectors and the yeah. voters of what should we value more? Very similar to Walsh and Dacos. What, what do we value more? Dacos is really link-up, outside player, 26 touches per game, uh, 405 metres gained per game, sort of puts him in you know, the top three at Collingwood. Obviously, number one ball winner at Collingwood, top three for metres gained. Uh, whereas Walsh was still 25 disposals per game, but yeah, 312 metres, so fewer metres, but more clearances, more contested possessions, more tackles. So slightly less of the ball, slightly less metres gained, slightly less score involvements for Sam Walsh, but more of the inside stuff. So again, you're asking who has had a better year. It's probably, yeah, what is it harder to be at? At 18, is it harder to be an inside midfielder or oh, sort I of a link-up so. player? It probably I, is, I'm but it's giving also a slight nod to Walsh. Yeah. Depends what your team needs at the time. Exactly, that's, that's, exactly what, and that's what we're saying. I'm we can't not... put blame on Dacos yeah. or anything, but when when you're totality up their season to say, all right, who had a better season? Sometimes yeah. their role just has to be taken into account. You're building a team from scratch. Uh, you've got those two on on the, the cards as you pick one, but you can only pick one of those. Who are you? If taking? they're both, the, if they're both, both the same age, both the same age, both I can have the choice of both for for their career. I still think Sam Walsh is the player I'm taking. Yeah, that's not by much, and and I could I could look stupid saying that in in ten years well, time, I but I don't a think wrong I will. I, I think I think in terms of football players, the whole Sam Walsh might be the most consistent footballer ever for someone from eighteen to twenty one. Well, you keep banging on in this office that you think he'll be the next four hundred gamer. I think he will play four hundred games. I think he'll. I think he'll captain Carlton for. I think he'll be like Scott Penderbury and captain captain a team for a decade. I think he's he's the perfect perfect role model player, perfect citizen, perfect teammate, perfect man. Um, he's a fantastic player and. Uh, there was a lot of debate. I remember I was we were debating with Connor Rosie, like in his in that year, who was and and Christian brought up a name, a blast from the past, Sydney Stacker, a name that we had. Well, round twenty, Sydney yeah. Stacker better than I Sam mean, Walsh, we, apparently. So how many games has Sydney Stack played since then? So yeah, it's it's funny how we kind of do flip flop on this, and I and I'm guilty of doing it too. But I think Walsh, what he's been able to do in his first now four seasons, um. Is massively impressive. I, I don't. I don't know. I, I can't think of a player who's been as good and as consistent in their first four years. Yeah, the consistency I've, is what yeah. I'm talking about. Like there are other players that 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 have had great seasons or burst on the scene. I know Chris Judd won a Brownlow in his third year, third or fourth Walsh season, and Nat Fife was polling Brownlow votes early on. But it's the consistency of Walsh. You know, the other I was up at the at the Gabba last week watching Carlton play. He had two. He had two two touches in the first quarter and you think gee maybe this is the game he's really going to struggle he still he comes back out at a quarter time and he still has a massive impact on the game finishes high 20s or something like that so it's his consistency week in week out now Dacos is is pretty consistent too he'll build that over time he will yeah. but the thing with Dacos I've noticed and and it's he's a first year player and he's young and he's a, he's going to be a gun so it's not a criticism it's just the reality is since clubs have started to put a little bit of time into him those 28, 29, 30 touches a game and 700 metres gained and all this link-up play and uncontested ball has sort of evaporated a little bit and the numbers have sort of started to drop. 
So I think if, off the top of my head, I'm not sure, but if you look at his numbers over the last sort of six to eight weeks, I would imagine they're, they're on a bit of a downward trend. And that's because teams are putting time into him. But that's a compliment in itself. It was always, it was always his own fault too. It was that 40 and three, 40 disposal game <laughs> yeah. and three goals he had against, Since, against Adelaide right. and team sort of went, oh, we could better put some work into yeah. this bloke. So. Uh, Dacos's name comes up on another little interesting list that you've got there, Christian. Um, we're going to tease uh, the, the deep dive again this week. So Jared Barker's going to write... Uh, an article that will come out uh, tomorrow, that's Wednesday, depending on when you're listening, uh, about some of the more clutch players mm, in the this AFL. Is a, this is a really yeah, good no, one. Big, big shout-out to Jared, because that's something... I mean, again, we're very... You know, us in the office, we're very media inquiry-driven. A lot of our time is basically for you guys. We don't have a lot of time just to play around Sorry. with the numbers for our own... You know, we've got to do it for a reason and for a story. But it is clutch players, probably something where... We've thought about before, but we never really had a great formula. And yeah, it's hard to a, define. Yeah, but it's hard to working quantify. with Jared and putting our head together, we've sort of come up with, um, you know, the basic formula is it's looking at all fourth quarters played where the margin was at least within 12 points at three-quarter time and the final margin finishes within 12 points. So a game that was close at three-quarter time that was never sort of blown so out by the end of the game. So 24-point margin total. So between 12 and 12 for Team A and Team B. Yeah, yeah. And, no, but yeah. it can go outside of that and come back in. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah we don't so, know what So happens. long as they start, the quarter starts and ends within the parameters of 12 points either side. Yeah, you'd think they're pretty clutch quarters where the whole, you know, a, a whole quarter, you, it's under pressure. most of the quarter yeah. you're separated by only two goals. So again, we looked at a whole range of stats and you'll be able to see through the deep dive of, you know, guys that have the most marks and goals. Because again, when we talk clutch players, I think everyone quickly goes to the goals. Robbie Gray, the most clutch player. I think we're going to talk Robbie Gray a bit later too. Most One of the most clutch players because he's kicked goals after the siren. But even talking to Jared, it's like, well, clutch players have to do a lot. You know, there's a lot more yeah. happening in that quarter than just the final goal. So who's getting the clearances, the tackles and things like that. Yep. So again, I just thought I'd, uh, so the one I found interesting, again, we're looking at total numbers of these quarters. So from 2016 to 2022, we can sort of see which team had has played the most close last quarters. And it's clearly Sydney, because if you look at the individual quarters pay, played uh, from 2016 in terms of close final quarters, Luke Parker's had 37 of these quarters, where it was at least 12 points at three-quarter time, 12 points at final time, uh, full time. Uh, 36 for Jake Lloyd, 35 for Papley, 33 for Rampy. They played a few tight games this week. 32 for Mills. So they're all, all up there. And the next two names are 32 Jack Crisp and 30 for Braden Maynard. So again, Collingwood and I think 10 or 11 of those have almost been in a row because <laughs> I think a lot of their three-quarter time margins were within 12 this season. So they're the guys. So again, Sydney and Collingwood so, supporters so sorry, are probably... Crisp has played more tight games than Pendlebury? Uh, quarter, in, since 2016 to 2022. Oh, so, yeah, 32. Sorry. So that would also include if Penderbury, and again, if Penderbury got subbed out at three-quarter time in any of those games because of an injury, he wouldn't have. So this isn't right. looking at how many games you played. So, it's so that, it's that a good one, not, not a good one for Matt Tabner. <laughs> yeah, he might be missing on a few. But um, again, as I said, Jared's going to go through all the different stats. But st- starting off, you know, simple disposals. Who sort of wins the ball? And Jack McRae comes up on top. He comes up on top nearly every time you look at a disposal winner. So in, mm-hmm. in close final quarters, he's averaged 8.9 disposals per game, which is right around his normal average, and nothing sort of changes there. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so second, though, is Brad Crouch. So again, we know as being a big ball magnet, but if we look at Brad Crouch 2016 to 2022, I think he's 17th for disposals per mm-hmm. game. But in clutch quarters, if we want to call these, he goes up to second at 8.6. So he's probably one of the big ones that jumps up. Gets his hand on the footy. But even a guy that probably jumps up from, uh, again, I don't have his exact ranking, but I would assume it's probably outside the top 150th um, disposal winners in this time. But he's actually the fifth or sixth highest in a clutch quarter. And this is, again, one of those ones you run the query, you're not sure what you're going to get. The name comes up and you go, I think we've nailed this query, Jared. Callum Ward. Callum Ward comes up as the fifth highest ball winner in clutch quarters in that time. But as I said, he's not a he's continual not a ball magnet. So he's, player, yeah. he's but he comes to the fore when the when the ball's on the when the, the game's on the line. Yeah, obviously. and you can you know again just you can think back and picture times. So, where so what does he Ward average in those front. tight games? Uh, so it's seven point four. So in, a, in the quarter, seven point four. So that would be that would extrapolate out to thirty for the game. It, yeah, and he rarely would have thirty for a game. Callan Ward. Yeah, yeah. So, so that is a huge jump from him. And another name that pops up into the top ten is Jared Pollock, who's actually had fifteen of these types of quarters. Um, so a good sample size, seven point one disposal. And again, funny name, Forgotten but I, I, yeah. I think back, he was. I don't know if he was a super sub. But there's a few games for Port Adelaide where he really broke him open late. There's and a won, reason and that's why he paid so exactly, much. Exactly. That's the, what I was going to say. It's probably part of his that, contract now. That pace 
and drive off the wing and just kicking goals. When you, when and... you need to get the ball forward uh, in, a, in, a, in yeah. a late last quarter and he can move the ball, say he runs 15 and kicks at 60, that's a 75-metre ball. Mm. And he's still running as fast as he was in the five-minute mark because mm. of his, his fitness. So, yeah, just a few of the names that popped up. And, again, you mentioned Nick Dacos. Again, I looked at minimum of 10 quarters played, so he didn't quite come into that way. He's played six, but if we include down to six quarters, he becomes the sixth best clutch disposal winner. So again, we know he's a ball magnet. Sam Walsh not on that list, Jake. But we know we know that Collingwood have had you know plenty of clutch situations this year, and we sort of said Nick Dacos has been one of the ones that stood up for him. There you go. Well, Jared's he's taken into account even more. I think there's a there's going to be a few different subcategories of what we would define as quote unquote clutch. Uh, so if you do want to keep an eye on that, that'll be on uh, ESPN.com.au forward slash AFL Wednesday morning. So whenever you listen to this, uh, check out the website because it's uh, it'll be quite comprehensive and quite interesting. Oh, very excited to read that one. Jake, there's um, there's a team looming uh, and they're, they're in the eight at the moment, but Blue they've bags. just got this... <laughs> the Blues, well, they're, they're hanging on by the skin of their teeth. But there's just starting to be a little bit of interest building the Tigers and what Richmond's doing. Uh, yeah. Another big win on the weekend. They've Their scoring profile has gone through the roof in the last three weeks after... Uh, a down few weeks that included a draw and a loss to the Suns. Uh, Tom Lynch is back. He's kicked eight, four, and four. They lost to North. I'm trying to say the good things at the moment, but yeah. <laughs> you just yeah, uh, eight, four, and four. So he's kicked sixteen goals in three weeks. He's um, kicked sixteen in three weeks, and I think he kicked he's kicked all sixteen since half time of the game against Brisbane. I think he kicked four in the second half, at least three, if not four. So in his last two and a half games he's kicked basically 16 goals he's been the difference in my opinion well yes but also there's just this i've just started to notice having watched them over the past few weeks there's a real sense of this 2017 to 2020 tigers outfit again handball meters gain and we talked about this on the podcast um, a few years ago when we sort of worked out that meters gain by handball that is by run and carry and handball um all included the tigers were far and away the, the best side within that sort of that 2017 to 2020 period doubling the next best team which i think was melbourne at the time they're just starting to get that aspect of the game back again and it's working again and i just get the feeling if they can sort of finish seventh sixth or whatever it is i would be pretty petrified as a team that finished fifth or, or hosting them in a semi-final that they might just be able to get the better of uh, of me in a final oh, i might just give myself a little bit of a pump up i did say this last <laughs> week we went through the four teams and again i probably yeah I, I looked at it last week and it clearly stood out when we looked at richmond versus carlton versus bulldogs versus saints richmond were on just another stratosphere compared yeah. to those other three yeah and they're actually sort of working their way past melbourne brisbane i think sydney still got him in the last but I'm talking last five or six weeks, and we we do know that late season form sort of holds you in good stead for the finals. Well, is Ge- Geelong and Sydney are they the only two teams in better? I know Collingwood had a long winning streak, but uh, again, Richmond's numbers in terms of their domination of territory, their points score, their ability to score from turnovers is better than if uh, better Rich- than if Collingwood. If Richmond so. play Collingwood tomorrow in a in a final, <laughs> are you are you is Mason Cox you... playing? Yeah, um, <laughs> is Dusty playing? Um, <laughs> Are you taking Richmond? I think uh, I think most people would be. I, I'd probably lean towards the Tigers. I mean, they've had in the last three weeks they've had uh, twenty-eight scoring shots, twenty-nine scoring shots, twenty-nine scoring shots. Christian, you've got some really good numbers on their profile of like, like you said, scores, scores per inside. Yeah, 50. so last three weeks, number one points for number one points for scoring, uh, once inside fifty, second points from turnover, second points from stoppages. So score a lot, get it in there a lot, and can score from both of the sources really, really highly. We know when they were dominant in seventeen, they were probably outside the top 10 or, you know, maybe even ninth or eighth for points scored from clearances. To be able to have high scores from turnovers and clearances makes them a scary proposition. The other player, uh, so Lynch has been super important, but the other player I think is probably underrated competition-wide is Dion Prestia. Yep. That game against the Cats where he was where he was knocked out early from Tom Stewart, they, they really felt that and they really missed him there and and I think they they suffered the effects of that he makes them such a better side because he does all the hard grunt work in the middle he wins the contested ball he wins the clearances he sets up that play like you're talking about on the outside where they do run and carry it and they spread so well he is pivotal to how the Tigers play and and he you can make the case Presti is just about their most important player and we talked about uh, Morris Rioli Jr. last week and the impact that he's been able to have as a pressure player. 
and some of the scores that he's been able to generate as a result of his turnovers. We saw against the Hawks, continued again. Pretty sure he had another goal and, and a few uh, scores from, from his turnovers. Yeah. And we flagged it last week. And uh, now everyone else has sort of jumped on the bandwagon as well, which is good <laughs> to see. Uh, but the, Thanks for listening. And Rioli Jr. has been the sub at times. So he, the impact that they've been able to get out of play, players who might not be entrenched in the 22 as well has been pivotal. Oh, look at Noah Cumberland. What he's done in the last four or five weeks is, um, you know, probably... Top three in terms of goal scoreboard impact behind Lynch and Rewalt. They, and again, it goes back to great clubs, great culture. They, they've been able to do this in the past. And I keep saying Noah Cumberland reminds me of Jacob Townsend. He's, mm-hmm. he's doing it at the same time of the year. Um, Bit and of even factor about him. Yeah, even, you know, <laughs> you talk about your subs, the, the use of Rioli as a sub. Even someone like Daniel Rioli, Bingo. I really felt like he's a half forward, um, goal kicking half forward to start with. They moved him into defence and sort of made him concentrate on defense now they've given him that license they've gone all right you can now start at half back but play like a half forward and the, the ability he's got to now kick the goals because they i think it is they've, they've they trust him to be able to defend now that they've taught him that side of the game that they've also given him license i think he in the last three weeks has been one of their keys as well mm, tigers can they win the flag they can't okay um, sorry to burst the tiger we've just had tiger. this whole segment <laughs> pumping them up look christian i'm gonna give christian credit for this because he said this earlier and i agree one thousand percent richmond and we just gave you all the reasons why they can beat anyone in the top eight right now. Anyone in the anyone in the league. Despite the fact that we're just talking about, a f- it was only a few weeks ago, we were saying how they lost to Gold Coast, how they lost to North, how did how did they not have that shot against Frio to win the game? They can beat anyone, especially if Martin comes back and, and even if he's playing at 60-70% of what he can. They can beat anyone, make no mistake. But can they beat four good teams back to back to back to back? No, I don't think any team's doing that. I know the Bulldogs did it in 2016. That is so out of the box and rare. It's just not happening again. And that's why they can't do it. They're not in the top four. And that's why there's so much pressure on Melbourne on Friday night playing Brisbane because mm. the reigning Premier trying to go back-to-back. We all thought it was going to be the start of a dynasty at the end of, as we always do, whoever wins the flag. It's a dynasty. It doesn't matter who it is. <laughs> but um, they lose... The, and and Frio win, they're not making top four, and I I can't see them, even them, winning four straight finals. Yeah, uh, well we we talked about the D's and the, and the fact that they were able to secure a win that gets them a little bit closer to that that top four berth again. Cosy Pickett, the winner. Um, it, again, we just see to see though, Jake. Unfortunately, there are some parts of society and footy that just. I haven't caught up with the times and know that racism is not a part of this game. And again, we found that an Indigenous player was racially abused on social media following a football match. Yeah, it's um, it's pretty pathetic and sad, isn't it? That every week we seem to see this. We saw it last week with uh, Callum Archie. You know, we've seen it again this week with with Cozzy Pickett. And we see it weekly. And it probably happens ten times more than its actual players actually. You know, there's, there's probably a lot of players that don't that don't feel comfortable um, uh, sharing it. My th- my question is, and this is something I thought, and I'm sure there are reasons why, but clubs coming out and posting a, a statement and, and a tweet saying that we don't condone this and we stand by Cozzy or Calamachi, whoever, um, is all well and good, but it really doesn't do anything. I want to name and shame these people. Why can't we name and shame? Why can't we put their photo and their name out there? That is going to deter people far more than an anonymous someone did this and you don't really know what one, it said. 1,000% with you, but the problem with social media is I can just grab your, your photo from your ESPN1. Yeah. If you dock someone. Jake Davidson and just then, yeah, then they're adding your photo with a fake name and said, this is the guy that said it, but we don't know what's true on social media. So I'm with you, but I think that's, yeah. that's the problem. Well, you made is. a point before about to, to social media because you're far more likely to, to say something stupid like that. Is someone going to really... If you ask... Cozzy Pickett, how many times have you copped that sort of rubbish on social media? I'm sure it's happened a lot. But how many times do people come up to you in the street and say that? I would imagine, not that I know, but I would imagine it's less face-to-face. I think it's a step, isn't it? You're more likely to do it on social media. That's what I'm saying. More likely to shout it out over the fence. But you're You're not not going to do it it if you see him at a coffee shop. Mm. But you said it earlier before we started recording, Matt, that why, why with social media, it's so... It's such a massive part of our lives and, and society now. Why why can't these platforms verify people before you use, before you start using it? Why can't they get your full name, your address, your phone number, your your license, verify everything about you rather mm. than just being able to create an account and start abusing people? Well, yeah. Uh, look, there are a lot and of it questions. It only takes that it only takes that 
99% of people do the right thing on social media. Like, but there's that 1% that do, that do um, want to start this crap, abusing players for all sorts of things. We had, and it's not just um, the racist racism is horrible, but it's there's more. It's not just that. We we, we spoke with Josh Dunkley last year about the um, just the people's abuse. multis. Yeah. If, if if he has 24 disposals in a game, he can't check his social media. Um, comments and, and his messages because people will be abusing the players because they didn't get a 25 or a 30 or something like that. They're not abusing the players, they're abusing us, I'll tell you that. <laughs> well, that's the thing. <laughs> Champion so, yeah, it's look, garbage. It, it's garbage. Th- that's it. I mean, I know that the social media companies don't have a lot of power and if they were told to get power, they would lose users and obviously that's against their yeah. commercial interests and so there's a whole lot of unravelling you can do from there. But oh, I think we're just beyond I just that, think I just think the, the statement that comes out saying that we don't condone it, would I be surprised if we see another one in round 23? No. no. I, it's almost like expected to happen. And it's, it's a bit thoughts sad, and prezzy, isn't it? That's the sad, sad part of it all. And yeah, I, I think if if the person... If I'm someone that was going to write the comment like that, I might think twice knowing that my name and everything about me is going to be going to go straight up there. But I do understand what you're saying. It's very easy to... People can... T- it's how hard is it to, to go and copy your photo and create an account? Mm. Uh, is the hype justified or is it hyperbole? Segment where I'll say a statement, you guys tell me whether the hype is justified or I'm speaking in hyperbole. Jake, there'll be 90,000 at the G this Sunday to watch Carlton and Collingwood. There will. 89,000 is my line. That's the that's the well, over. That's not 90. I said 90. Yeah, I know. And I'm leaning towards the, I'm on the over, I think. Yeah, I I think 90. I'd be I'd be surprised if it was if it was less than 85, I would be pretty surprised. I I think it's far more likely the the crowd figure will start with a 9 than it will it's a tough seven, to get a 9. Then it will a 7. A, a sellout, quote unquote, relies on a lot of things in the home and away season. I know, but I think is I think it's most likely holders? it's most likely to be 80 something. But if it's not, if you tell me right now the crowd will not start with an eight, I would say the favourite will be a nine, not a seven. Do you want to have a closest to the pin? Let's do it. Go on. 90,000. Bang on. <laughs> well, I just always love when people go 91,417. Like that has, like it can't be an even 90,000. <laughs> uh, Christian, any thoughts? Uh, yeah, I'd probably, again, I'm very surprised that it's a sellout. You know, I think I read last night that it was a sellout. But then, yeah, talking to you and getting the fact, you know, the facts of what a ticket actually means to be sold, mm. I think they need yeah, you to have... be there. It can't just be, we sold 100,000 tickets to 100,000. What's the capacity? 100,000 and 24? There'll be thousands of, of reserve seat holders who can't turn up. And there's yeah. no way to resell these tickets no. that I know of in the AFL at the moment. No, but my point is you got two of the four biggest clubs in the sport and it's the final game or the or the second last game of the season for the home and away season the last game for these two clubs you got one side to win to play top four to finish top four and you got the other one needing to win to to play finals for the first time in nine years and on top of that it's arguably the biggest football rivalry the sport has had I know it's not the same rivalry as it was 30 40 years ago well, we were trying but... to work out the, how, what it's the biggest Carlton Collingwood clash since and we kind of came to a consensus you know not without having looked at it, did it too scientifically that it was the biggest clash since the 1988 semi-final yeah so <laughs> that sums up <laughs> and just looking at forget finals what's the last I can't think of a home and away game that has had so much interest in it the only one that really kind of thought was St Kilda Geelong were both undefeated in 2009 but that was early, that was midway through the season St Kilda and Geelong it's not Carlton Collingwood <laughs> Um, One of the great modern games. Was that even at, was that at Marvel no, was, as well? It was 54,000 there. And that was a sellout, and they were oh, still 2,000 short of capacity. May, I, okay, you probably got me. I think this 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 year's more anticipated, but I think you've just skipped ahead. Melbourne Geelong last year down at Skilled oh. Skating. Like yeah. uh, For the minor premiership. Yeah, it got, it got bigger as the game went on because it was close. But yeah, we always sort of jump ahead and say... Did you oh, have a number in head? Oh, did you I don't know, I was just looking at last time. So they played earlier this year on a Sunday, 80,620. So I'd go 88 and a half. Oh, it's got, so yeah. just under 90. It's 10, yeah, guess. right. It's okay. 10%. More. I'll go 86. So if it's any lower... 86? You, you started yesterday. You came in and said it'll, it'll be 67,000. <laughs> no, I, you, I said it... Okay, I didn't, I didn't commit to that number. I just said it's going to be a lot less than what you think. 
Because you came in, you came in saying ninety-five, and now you've padded well, your I'm way down to ninety. Closer to ninety-five than you are sixty-seven. I'm just saying it won't be as big as what you think, because you know there's weather. People have things on. The reserve yeah. seat holders won't turn up. There'll be a lot of other, you know, the the car park will probably close the, or something the, like that. The highest attended game of the year was Anzac Day, eighty-four, two hundred. That roughly. was a sellout, wasn't it? Yeah, but that's that was Collingwood when they weren't flying, and it was Essendon who who been Essendon Still all year. Technically, a quote unquote sellout. No, uh, the, well, we'll is, come back and revisit is, this. So, sorry, what are we saying? 90? 86. 88. All right, what are we what are we playing for? What are the stakes? <laughs> I don't know. What's the hundredth episode goodie bag you're going to bring in that was about ten episodes it's been ago? Postponed to the two hundredth. <laughs> uh, last thing before we wrap things up, Robbie Gray is going to announce his retirement. Uh, one of Port's all-time greats. We talked about Frio mm. when Mundy retired, when David Mundy retired, about their Mount Rushmore, the four faces of the club. Mm. Um, power in the well, power era. Is he on it, Robbie Gray? Uh, he's got a very good case to be on it. One of my favourite players, uh, I know I have a few, but Robbie Gray was always a player I love watching and always a player that want, I wanted on my team. There's a lot of players I like, but he was always one that I wanted on my team. Smart footballer, really crafty, clever around goal. Um, had a few injuries later in his career. Probably missed a little bit of footy. It would have been good to see him play more. Five. We talk about clutch players. He he obviously had that that memorable goal after the siren against Carlton. Um, Some big showdown moments. That was at the Gabba. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Um, five time. Showdown five time showdown medalist. Now, if that's not clutch, I don't know what is. So. Great player. Is he on the Mount Rushmore? I, th- I think, yeah. I mean, he's... Treadray. Treadray seems to be the num- the first pick. Gray. Then I feel like you can throw a blanket over five or six of them. Corns times two. Corns times Wanganine? two. Wanganine? Was he maybe before his Did estimate? he play his best footy at the Bombers? Uh, he won a Brownlow there. Won, a, won his Brownlow there. Wines? Does Wines, Wines. Get, a, get a Guernsey? Wines. Frank, who's a... Frank is a big one. Rosie. Um, and then <laughs> Matty Primus mightn't have done his uh, say, Matt, coach wasn't uh... Yeah, Matty Primus yeah, exactly. Probably ruined his legacy a little bit in his coaching. Yeah, oh, I, yeah think I, I, I think I, I got Robbie Gray in there. Yeah. I, again, I, I Treadray and I think I got Treadray and Franco as my top two. Josh okay. Franco, Franco. And then and then Gray. Yeah, the other two, to, Gray yeah. and Corn. It has to be up. Again, Chad, I, I don't know. Chad? I could. I can't even pick Kane? between the Corns. That's why I struggle to put one of the Corns I, on I it because I don't know which one I'd pick. Really, like I think um, Robbie Gray a better. Will Robbie Gray be remembered as a better player than Travis Boak? Travis, I think so. I think so. Skip just of because club, of the though. highlights Wines, and that. Wines yeah. might be. Wines might be the best of the three of them by the time he's done. Maybe Port fans can let us know on Twitter. Mm. At Who's footy the tips. Port? Who's the Port Mount Rushmore? Yeah, mm, these are good. We, we in the off season we should do um, we should almost do eighteen episodes and Just the uh, Mount Rushmore yeah. discussion. That Gold might be five Co- minutes Gold each. Coast one might be a bit, be a bit grim. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I think we'll wrap things up there. Like I said, at Footy Tips on Twitter, if you have any questions for us, if you have any comments, if you have any feedback, don't forget AFLW uh, back soon as well. Listen to the girls. Marissa and Sarah do a great job on the podcast. Uh, that is also live. Uh, Bombers fans, if you kind of want to, I don't know, placate yourself, um, therapeutically listen to Rowan. Uh, there's that episode as well. So there's plenty happening with the, the podcast at the moment. Uh, so do make sure you tune in when you can. To everyone at home, we will speak to you in the next episode. Listen to all the latest episodes by subscribing to the ESPN Footy Pod wherever you get your podcasts.